So Rabbi, did you, uh, did you miss me last, last week? I know you, um, you, you kind of cheated on me and went and had someone else on the show and you went international. I think I'm just too domestic for you. And, uh, you had to go to London to find someone to you now as a host, as a fellow co-host. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, uh, interesting bringing on a, a colleague and friend, um, um, for those that may have had the opportunity to listen to it, um, well, I don't care about this person who's on there. I'm more cared about my feelings. That you know. Oh, well, it, it goes into feelings, uh, which is um, um, about 18 years ago when I met her, uh, she had terribly inspired me with the work that she had done with interfaith and uh, community building, uh, which really uh, led a passion, which is why, uh, you know, giving thought to, you know, what we're faced with in our society today with, uh, with, with, with COVID-19, with um, you know, a, a racism issue and uh, equality and respect for one another um i don't know just uh I, I thought why not go over the pond bring somebody in yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, i'll tell you we missed you mm-hmm. we missed you right yeah you say that to all your co-hosts we'll, we'll, we're back this week on the podcast and it's you and me buddy and it's not just you and me because uh we're gonna we're gonna jump head first into the whole hebrew scripture to see what are the themes uh does does racism even or race, or a struggle with race, does that ever pop up in scripture? Um, we're going to talk about themes of how do we how we form identity and who is the other. Where does that come up? Is that God's doing? Is that man's doing? Uh, how do we deal with that now, 2020? Uh, and you know, you, you're a pretty smart guy. I'm just more your your sidekick. Um, but you know, we also want to bring on someone even smarter than you imagine that so we brought in we're going to bring in dr judy ventress williams she's a professor of old testament studies over at virginia theological seminary and i think oh that's her at the door dr judy is that you here i am so dr judy is going to be joining us today on the podcast and i think she's going to she's going to flip some things upside down here where uh, a meditation on what is what is otherism and what are what are others is it really about race or is it just about the, this human temptation to always try to find the other um, and, and see them less than. Um, so we are going to take that journey today. What does scripture say about the other? What does it say about race? So come join us today on this podcast. We are grateful that you are here. Please like and share this podcast um, with those you know who might enjoy this and leave a comment that really helps um, tremendously with uh, with places like iTunes and Apple Podcasts will, will, will lift up the uh, this, this podcast and make it more visible to others. So enjoy this. We will jump right in. Dr. Judy, you ready? I'm ready. Rabbi, are you ready? I'm born ready. Okay, and we got a producer named Evan Nine. Is he ready? His thumbs are up. All right, y'all, buckle your seats. Let's get ready for a priest and a rabbi. from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over-allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. 
Good morning, everybody in Stewart, Florida, and from around the world. This is Father Christian Anderson at St. Mary's Episcopal Church here on a priest and a rabbi with the best-looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River. The man, the plan, who has new hair product in his hair today. His three daughters made him look so good and beautiful for us. I wish you all could see him. It is none other than Rabbi Matthew Durbin of Temple Beth Hayam, my brother, my rabbi, my friend. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Missed I heard you, you. Missed you last week. Well, I heard you brought on someone. You went international. You you brought in someone. We from went international. Europe. I brought in uh, uh, a friend and a colleague of mine out of London. Uh, she's been doing a lot of work um, over the last twenty years or so with, um, you know, the Jewish Christian uh, relations. She's uh, very big on interfaith um, in a, in a very large synagogue um, in London. So yeah, we brought her on last week, and it was great. It was great. So you solved, you basically solved Judeo-Christian tension um, that might be happening in Europe last week. So that's great. So, you, you know, th this week, why don't we head back and just solve some of the racial conflicts that we, you know, continue to try to solve here on the show, just right here. Um, and uh, um, it's been an ongoing thing. And, uh, you know, R Rabbi, you know, a lot of people come up to me and have asked me this. I don't know if they ask you this, uh, but they'll say like, you know, you know, Father Christian, uh, what does really the Bible say about about racism? I mean, does it actually say anything, you know, and because we know that it was used at one point to even support slavery. You know, we know that we there was Christian pastors who would look to scripture to try to support the, the original sin of America. But have you ever had that conversation? Has anyone ever come up to you and say, can you just tell us exactly what it means or or <laughs> can we talk about you this? Know, you know, you know some, some of those challenges are, um, you know. Certainly people come, and as you know, with clergy, you know, people ask uh, um, uh, a, a lot of impactful and very important questions. Um, something like race. Have I been asked about that? What does the Bible say about race? Um, not in a, not in a, a, a conversational way, because I think most people do understand that if they ask the question, then I have to do my homework. Like, I, I, I don't have, you know, five books of Moses memorized in the back of my head where I can pull out scripture. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting question. You know, what does the Bible say about, you know, some of the challenges and, 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 and the pain and suffering that we feel today? Was it there 4,000 years ago? So are you asking me a question? What does the Bible say? I'm well, sure it's something. Here's a good thing is that on the show, we like to bring out people who are a lot smarter than us, or at least a lot smarter than me. Um, and so it, it, this week is, is like many other weeks where we have. So we, we, we have, we brought on a very distinguished uh, Old Testament biblical scholar. So sorry, Hebrew scripture, um, us Christians call it Old Testament. It's just terrible, um, but Old Testament scholar. Um, and, and she's actually somewhat responsible for, um, for, 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 for my own formation as she was, uh, I, I took one of her courses at Virginia Theological Seminary on the song, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon that some people just, you know, sometimes are like, ooh, are we allowed to say those things in church? Um, so if y'all haven't read Song of Songs, please, please do. I'm extremely romantic. Um, and, uh, but Dr. Judy Ventures Williams from Virginia Theological Seminary, uh, so she has been in the game for about 25 years, uh, dedicating her life to, uh, to, to Old Testament scholarship. Um, and her, her, her expertise is, is the Hebrew Bible, um, Afro-American studies, literary criticism. Uh, she did her work, her PhD work at Yale, 
And then before that was at Princeton. So um, she's really not that smart. I mean, I think that's what those two things show you. Uh, but um, so we're just, we're, we're, we're so excited to have her here. She has a new book uh, that will be coming out soon in November, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, um, called Holy Imagination, A Literary Guide to uh, the Bible. Dr. Judy Ventures-Williams, thank you so much for rescuing us on the show today and bringing something of substance to these two goofballs known as a priest and a rabbi. Well, thanks for the invitation. I have to tell you that the, um, the theme song was worth the price of admission, so <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. We had, uh, this was, that was about a couple months ago, maybe three months ago, right before the whole world went to poo with um, COVID-19, but we had uh, two local theater celebs come on our show and talk about bullying because they do it. They run a big children's theater. So they were talking about bullying and, and, and the effects of it. And then after the show, we're like, wait a minute, can you guys write us a theme song? Because they do musical theater. And so that's what happened. So that, that's where you saw it. Uh, and she's Jewish and her husband is a former Catholic. So he was like, oh, I know exactly what to do. Anyhow, so Dr. Judy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Um, you, you yourself, as we said, you know, you're over at Virginia Theological Seminary. And uh, it, 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 you have really dedicated your life to, 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 to the study and the teaching of the Old Testament. So can you just give us a little understanding of why you've, you've, you've given your, your heart? And you're also a, a pastor yourself. Um, so what, what, what has drawn you to just uh, to, to give, giving your life to this? Oh, well, that's easy. Um, so uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, and if you were to hear the family story, they would tell you I was reading the Bible at the age of four. Um, what I can tell you, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I can tell you is that um, I went to church, Sunday school, and Christian school from kindergarten to 12th grade. So my life has been shaped by the Bible in almost every um, space that I occupy. And what I love about the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures are the stories. It's just the best, the best stories. Um, they show humanity in all of its complexity. God is complex and complicated, yet intriguing and compelling. And these are stories that you just can't get enough of and come back again and again and find something new. And I think that I am not alone um, when I count myself as someone whose um, life um, has not just been shaped by scripture, but I found encouragement, purpose, and direction from scripture. All right. So we, we wanted to bring you on uh, for many reasons. Um, one of it is that in, our, in, in the climate that we have and the conversations that are happening um, right now in America, obviously, so our show a lot has been focusing a lot on racial reconciliation. Uh, and um, I asked the question just a few minutes ago to the rabbi of, has he had folks say, you know, what, what does really scripture say about, about, about race? Um, and we go back to the word, you know, as just pastors and as rabbis, we go back to the word. What is God telling us in this, in this, in this situation? So I know in, over at St. Mary's, we've gone back to, it's just Genesis one. And we're just getting back to the heart of it. You know, how did this all start? How did this all begin? And we were all made in God's image. It didn't say that just some people were made in God's image. Some people were not, but we do know that you throughout scripture, God does seems, seems 
to say, oh, this group of people are different than these group of people. Um, it seems, I'm going to say seems here. I'm going to have the outside eye here. And that's what we want to parse, parse apart on today's show. Um, is there any type where you would see that God is favoring a group of people over others? The Israelites are definitely chosen and others are not chosen. And does that plant the seeds for some of maybe the division we see Today, does it empower some groups of people today to feel that they are more superior than others, um, or, or or not, or there, or is really uh, the, the the Bible, specifically Hebrew Scripture, really pointing us towards more um, uh, maybe unity or understanding of one another, or um, how do we understand identity? So that's what we want to dig into, you know. And I and I, I today just want to play more of the critic of just the outsider um, of being like, come on, guys. You know, come on, Rabbi. Come on, Professor uh, Fentress Williams. But, but, but I think I think division. You know, Reverend Anderson. I think I think it's important also for for our listeners to understand, especially historically, the Israelites were not the only people in town, right? That there were other tribes, there were other peoples amongst living amongst us. Um, and I think it's also about terminology, right? You use the term chosenness. You know, we have it in Hebrew, bachar. Uh, which is in our scriptures, it is in, you know, the blessings we say before Torah, before the reading of Torah that we publicly do, uh, Monday, Thursdays, and Shabbat morning, right? But it, it's, what does that term chosen mean, as, as you suggested? Is it about the understanding that um, um, I am superior or I am better than you? I am God's treasured people. I am God's, I am for God and not for you as opposed to our intent and our understanding, certainly as progressive Jews, um, if not all of the Jewish world, understands it as it's not about um, being superior or inferior. It's about a direct sacred partnership and relationship with God. You know, I think we've may have mentioned this before that there's a very famous Midrash um, that says in some way that God presented God's, God's laws to all the people of the earth. And every nation, every nation refused to take God's law except for the Israelites. And the Israelites accepted God's law. Now, we, you know, use it as a comical joke with, you know, oh, does it have anything about thou shall not commit adultery? Oh, we love adultery. Thou shall not kill. Oh, not kill. And then we get to the Jews, to the Israelites. And, you know, God says, would you like my laws? And the Jews say, well, how much are they? And God says, they're free. So the Jews say, well, in that case, I'll take two. But even though comically and, and you know, it, it, there's something there, which is that the law was presented to all peoples of the earth and the Jews, the Israelites, they accept God's law with the explicit understanding that this is a direct relationship. We are in relationship. Right. Dr. Judy, you're the Old Testament scholar here. You both are very more, much more well-versed in the Old Testament than I am. Um, but that's a midrash. Now, is that in 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 the in, in the in the Torah itself? Does do we see that kind of presentation where the, the Israelites are the ones who say, "Yeah, we're in." Well, God calls Abraham. God does extend an invitation to Abraham and makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham um, that says, "Through you, all the people of the world will be blessed." So there are three elements to that promise: that you will have descendants, that you will come to the land that I will show you. Um, you will be blessed, you will be a blessing. And the third part of that, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So you can make the argument that implicit in the initial call to Abraham is a blessing for the whole world. Mm -hmm. Was chosenness then ultimately 
um, intended towards some kind of inclusivity. Um, so that's one issue. The other issue for me about chosenness is that I, I believe God did call and choose Israel. Um, but I don't know that that means that no one, that no one else matters, that, that somehow devalues everyone else. And finally, look in the story or the overall narrative of Israel. There's tribalism within Israel. There are literally tribes. Um, and there is, um, there is tension between those tribes. Within the family units, um, there is chosenness again. Who is chosen to continue or take the inheritance of the promise? Um, through whom will the line be continued? So I think this concept of chosenness is, is broad enough for us to think about um, how it um, operates on a number of levels. It's not a simple or monolith, hmm. monolithic thing, yeah. So, did, so in that chosenness that do we, in, or in those tribes, let's go back to the tribes. So you have the 12 tribes of Israel. Does, does race ever get mentioned or, is, is, or anything about skin color ever come up, do we see? In, in, in scripture? Yeah, so I think um, as, as um, Rabbi Durbin was saying earlier, terminology and language matters here, that we use um, the term race, which is a construct that represents our current reality. Um, the Israelites um, are also creating a construct of identity, but it may not be one of race. Remember the originating myths in Genesis, in Genesis one, as, as the rabbi said, it tells us we were all made in God's image. Genesis 2 tells us that we have common ancestry, that we all come from this, this original pair. Um, so if that's the case, how then do we get to have other nations and other peoples? Ultimately, if we follow the myth that, that the Bible begins with, we're all related. So that's one underlying truth. If we're all related and now we have other nations and races and ethnicities or whatever we want to call these different groupings, it's because we have made it so. Mm. So I think part of what we observe in scripture is the way in which people um, are divided. So that we have a story of um, Jacob and Esau, brothers who come to represent two separate nations. Right. So mm -hmm. nations, yet somehow they're related. Right. And so in some senses, for me, the great irony of the narrative in scripture is that if you believe what the Bible is telling us about our origins, your enemy is your cousin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so when the Try to figure this out in, in, in my head of where do 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 we so there, there there's definitely we're all one family and then but wh where do we start to see truly is is the divisions that start to happen are based on uh, on just wanting to receive a blessing wanting to receive more than than your brother right well Tower of Babel um, we have divisions we have divisions with Noah's son. Um, and I know um, Rabbi Durbin had um, some midrashim on this, but we have the story of the flood where the earth is utterly destroyed. God starts again with Noah and Noah's family, three sons. And those three sons represent different groups of people. 
So again, here you have a narrative that starts to kind of lay the foundation for separation of humanity. And then follows up, we, that story is followed up by the story of the Tower of Babel, which has people dispersing because they cannot speak the same language. God confuses their language. Humanity has gone too far. And so in response to humanity pushing up against limits that it should not cross, um, God confuses the language so that they separate and spread out into the world. So those are the beginnings of other groups and peoples. And, and is any of that from scripture? Because what I'm getting at is to the, you know, how, how do we get to where we're at today, you know, in 2020, um, which is, you know, probably always, always been with us, but, but where do we start to see, or do we see at, 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 at the time we see language is separating folks? Is there ever a part where in scripture someone's saying, oh, those people over there have a different shade of melatonin? Like they're, those, those are darker folk, right? Um, do we see that at all in, in, in scripture where people are being separated, whether judgmentally or whether for good or for bad um, and being recognized because of a shade of their skin? Yeah, so I think for the most part, the, the points of differentiation are, differentiation, I'm sorry, are based on who you worship um, um, people who worship other gods. Um, I think um, we've um, discussed a little bit earlier that in Song of Songs, we do actually have reference to skin, color, I am dark, the female protagonist says. Um, and so we have that passage there um, that makes reference to the color of her skin. We do have terms that mean dark. So um, um, there's, um, Rabbi, is it Kush? Does Kush actually mean dark? So, and I mean, it means, you know, to, to be dark, to be um, it, it, more of a region like Ethiopia, yeah. is how we understand it. Yes. Uh, also, it means red in okay. some way, like, like almost like we take the analogy with Esau, Jacob yeah. and Esau, Esau being hairy, being red, being dark, yes. uh, different. Yeah, I'm thinking there's this name, there's a play on names of a king. Um, and it and it and it has to do with darkness. Um, Kushim, uh, I'll find it. I think it's in it's in Joshua Judges. I'm not. I'll, I'll dig around and see if I can find it before we're finished. But I do think there are a couple of terms that may actually make some reference to darkness. Um, I mean, you have to really think about this. It's not obvious that. I guess what I'm getting at is that that. It really is not, it, it's a big thing for us in 2020 America. It is a big deal. Color of skin is, it's, it's, it's just, it is a big, big focus and a big deal and a big uh, issue of either, uh, of division here um, in the States. But in scripture, is it safe to say it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal to God or God's people, that if there's other things that are causing dividing lines or differentiate, let's just say differentiation or identity, um, that usually is not drawn upon the color of your skin. It's other other things that create identity in, in, in the Bible. Yeah. So let me again talk about how our contexts are not the same. So that in our country, skin color is connected to the construct of race based on otherness. When slaves are first brought to this country, 
slavery was justified on the basis of religion. So that would have been in some ways similar to what we have in um, a lot of the Old Testament context. These people um, were um, worthy of being enslaved because they, they had the wrong gods. They were heathens, they were pagans. Well, then slaves started you know, joining the Church of England and getting baptized and that was their ticket out of slavery. Um, but the, the, the economic drivers of slavery thought, well, this is not good. And so then we come up with a different way of othering. And that construct then comes to have, um, to deal with race and particularly skin color. And the reason, and that plays itself out even in the practice of slavery where the slaves who worked in the house tended to be fairer because many of them were the descendants of the slave master um, and the ones who worked in the field um, darker, um, perhaps started out darker and then working in the field all day, get more tan. But you see um, a strata or colorism even within slavery so that when we think about race, we think about appearance, um, which is curious because if you think about European Americans, um, they many, many of, there's a uh, less of, um, di less diversity in skin color, although there is some, um, but they are of different races. So when we talk about race in America, we talk about it almost always in terms of black and white, which kind of excludes the Asian American population, um, the Latinx population, all these other people, because it keeps going back to slavery. Mm. And so that shapes our whole view around race. Um, biblical world is a different context. So here we have a lot of nations within the same region for the most part, uh, which means there may not have been a whole lot of diversity in terms of what people looked like, right? I always am curious about this. Um, when I read the story of um, um, Moses, baby Moses and Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby in the basket, um, how does she know that he is a, a Hebrew baby? Do the Israelites actually look that different from the Egyptians? Is it because he's circumcised or is it because of what we see in you know, the 10 commandments? He had a Hebrew blanket. I mean, what, how do we know um, how, who he is by looking at him? That's right. And, That's yeah. Right. That's right. Rabbi, what do you think about that? Has there, has there, has there been thought about that of how, how she knew that he was a Hebrew child? I, I'm, not, I'm sure there's 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 tons of midrashim about it. Um, and just for our, our listeners who may not be familiar with the terminology, midrash are uh, stories, parables that the rabbis created, you know, 1,700 years ago, um, to fill in the gaps that perhaps the Torah and the Bible did not make uh, explicitly clear. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that there's you know I, I think that there are instances throughout our tradition and certainly throughout our scripture that highlight. Um, difference in some way. I mean, we we have it with um, Aaron, Moses's uh, brother, as well as Miriam, uh, who uh, go behind Moses's back and talk badly about Moses's wife, um, uh, Zipporah, who effectively say, you know, she's a Kushite. Well, Kushite, a black and Ethiopian woman. It's there. It, it, she's she's talked about derogatorily. Now, you know, the, the punishment is that Miriam gets afflicted with a white scaly disease that we assume is leprosy, uh, not really explicitly stated in the Bible, but, you know, she's afflicted. And, 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 and Moses, upon hearing the news, 
effectively almost takes that and takes the moral high ground and just doesn't even seem to face him where he goes, all my concern is, is the curing and the health of Miriam. I don't care if she, so if, if they spoke badly, but it, 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 the terminology there, Kushite, the, the kingdom of Kush, um, of, of that region of, you know, Eastern Africa, um, you know, south of, 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 of Egypt, that Ethiopian kind of, I, I guess, the, the, the horn. Um, it's just really interesting to be able to see that, that difference. And at least in my understanding, that it's one of the first instances where we see a clear division hmm. between color. All right, so we're going to take a clear division in the show. <laughs> like I did that. Whoa, whoa, that's why, that's why I get paid the big bucks. Uh, we're going to jump to break. I see that Dr. Judy's already whipping out huge scholarly books, so I think she's revving up for the second half of the show. Um, and when we come back, also, we have John from Stewart who will be waiting on the line. He has some questions. He's, he's, uh, he wants to uh, jump on the show. If anyone else is listening, uh, please give us a call at 772-220-9788. That's 220-WSTU. And we would love to chat with you and here on A Priest and Rabbi with uh, Dr. Judy Ventress-Williams. We'll be right back to hear from the people who help us keep the lights on. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you during a challenging time and you can call the church at 772-287-3244 we also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis they are not counselors they are trained just to be more of the presence 
um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Back with more amazing music. I know you guys came for the music, but you'll stay for Priest and the Rabbi and for Dr. Judy Ventress Williams. Um, and uh, so welcome back to a Priest and the Rabbi here on 1450 AM. If you're checking in on the podcast, we thank you that you're here. If you don't know about our podcast, please go and just Google a priest and a rabbi and you will find us. Subscribe, leave a comment. Even if it's a nasty comment, that's good. It still helps, helps our analytics and helps us get promoted more. We're now in about 45 countries. Thanks to uh, our rabbi, Matthew Durham. Now we're in 57. Heinz 57, thanks, thanks to our international friend, um, Rabbi Durbin, who is Canadian, who just gets the, gets the, uh, all right. So we will begin the second half of our show as we're talking about what is, we started off talking about, does the Bible really talk about race? And then that got redefined as saying, Dr. Judy Ventures Williams came in and saying, well, let's talk about otherism and talk about what does it mean to be the other? And so we kind of, in the first half of the show, said, really, the Bible doesn't really seem, in America, we're infatuated with race, but the Bible's not really infatuated more with skin color. It's more talks about other, well, what, what is the way we differentiate folks? In America, it's through, a lot of times it's through color, um, but in the Bible, there's a different way of doing that. It really was, it doesn't seem the scripture lends itself to saying it really has to do with, 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 with skin tone. Let's bring on John from Stewart. It's great to have you, brother, on the show. Welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. Hello. Uh, back in the 60s, I uh, lived down in Dade County. I used to ride my motorcycle down to Coconut Grove to take Bible studies. And the, the minister there never could answer this question, how come Jesus Christ in the Bible, he never said uh, slavery was bad. I think he said something about you should be c- kind to your slaves, and the slaves should respect you. Why didn't he just say it's bad to enslave a person? Dr. Judy, do you want to take that one? I have a question. Where do you see Jesus talking about slaves? It's in the Bible. He, he, he says uh, the, New, uh, the New Testament. He said, be kind to your um, slave and... Your slaves should respect you, something like that. This, you know, this is back in the '60s that I studied the uh, the Bible. That doesn't ring a bell with you. Well, how come I, I, you know, "Thy shall not, thy shall not kill, thy thy shall not"? How come there there isn't a um, commandment that says, "Thy shall not enslave a human being"? Right. So. So I know of New Testament references that talk about slavery. I'm, I am trying to remember a passage where Jesus talks about slavery. So that most of the references about slavery that were used, for example, for slaves, slaves obey your masters, come from the epistles. Um, so we have those references. I'd be really interested in talking about those other passages with you. Um, if you can identify those, and then we could. Maybe oh, it's work been too long ago. <laughs> yeah, 
I but, think but, that what we want to acknowledge is that there was slavery in the ancient world. There has always been slavery in the world. Um, the fact that it exists does not mean that it's okay. I also think we want to make a, di a distinction between debt slavery and chattel slavery. That um, there was a practice that of, of debt slavery, which is um, um, condemned in several places in the Bible, um, um, in the prophets, um, where people work to pay off debts. That's how many Irish came to this to America as debt slaves to work off, um, and and people from Europe came this country and worked off their um, debt and became free. What develops in America is a system of chattel slavery where people have no option of being free, no access to citizenship, and then are subsequently born into slavery. And so the question we want to ask is, can we take those passages of scripture in the New Testament epistles that are addressing a different kind of enslavement and apply them to the situation that was in the United States and use them to support um, taking away people's humanity. Hey, so John, this is good. It's a, it's a great question and, and uh, we appreciate uh, uh, calling in uh, for the show. Um, and uh, uh, if there's, if there's, and feel free too, if, if there's other scripture passages, uh, let us know too, because um, having Dr. Judy here is, is a great resource for us to be able to parse, parse that apart. Um, Can I say so, one more thing about the subject? Please. Am I still on? I think uh, Jesus Christ never uh, badmouthed uh, slavery back in his time because I think he would have cr been crucified a lot sooner. You know, <laughs> they crucified him for nothing, right? But if he started running around preaching that you should release your slaves, the Romans would have done him in a lot sooner. That's Anyway, that's my assumption. Cool. Thank you so much. I will take that okay. comment and run with it. And I uh, appreciate you calling in, brother. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I, you know, John brings up that, that point of like, um, uh, which would be a, a great topic for an another show is, well, was Jesus aware of how far he could push the boundaries? Was he ever aware of that? Or do you not even care about boundaries? Well, what was socially acceptable? Did he, you know, people have asked, why didn't he have part of his 12 apostles, why weren't some women, you know, and some would say, because if he did that, they would have been shut down, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, so it's a good, a great topic. And thank you, John. Uh, but we, um, but I, I, I'd be afraid that we'll totally get off topic on that one. Um, so, but he raised up some, some, some good points of, again, this idea of context of trying to understand what is the Bible saying. So when we talk about just slavery itself, um, I mean, there was, I mean, my gosh, when my wife and I went to Ghana and went to the castles where we saw that, you know, free Africans were, Ghanaians were brought to and then enslaved in inside these castles of where they were then sent across the seas, there was a, a, uh, a church, a chapel right in the midst, in the middle of it, right? So you have where everyone was put in these like jail cells, the Ghanaians. And then right in the middle is this chapel. So it's like you would think that the truth is staring you right in the face. And I just wonder what were those sermons that were being preached? And I'm assuming that the pastor must have used, you know, some of the scripture. And um, Dr. Judy would say that, you know, he could probably, if he wanted to, without understanding context, maybe point to some scripture and say what we're doing is, is right. 
Oh, absolutely. So um, I was taught as a child in my Christian school that the reason that my ancestors were slaves was because of the sin of Ham. Sometimes I was told it was because of the sin of Cain. It depended on who the teacher was. But, um, you know, that was the kind of underlying justification for that whole movement. It's a narrow reading of the text that supports an infrastructure. Um, and so what we want to acknowledge is that um, over time, people have consistently used scripture to support a worldview. Um, it's not the first time and it won't be the last. So part of what we want to do in dealing with this question is ask ourselves, how can we be um, responsible readers of scripture? Um, so if we go back then to um, this concept of other, I just want to acknowledge um, Regina Schwartz, who is a scholar in the Curse of Cain, who says the construction or creation of other is the first and primary act of violence. When you talk about that castle, that slave castle in that church, the reason people were able to do that and sleep at night and to worship and feel loved by God is because they had convinced themselves that the people who were underneath them in that dungeon were not fully human. And this is the sin we perpetuate again and again when we other people on the basis of gender, sexual orientation, whatever it is, class, we do it to each other all the time. And in the Bible, we can observe that process so that one of the, the, the stories I love when I talk about the book of Ruth is that Christians read that story and we read that Ruth was from Moabite and we miss it altogether. Um, Moabites were abhorred and detested. And we see the progression in the narrative of how they came to be that, right? So the Moabites come out, they are descendants of Lot, Abraham's cousin, right? So these people share blood. But back in the day, the Moabites refused entry to the, you know, they wouldn't let the Israelites through and they worship other gods. So we see this kind of development of a portfolio that justifies our treatment of these people as other. And I think that's the, the pattern we continue to repeat. The rabbi and I are both just shaking our heads, just saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. just, yeah, I think it's so funny if you go back and look at articles in the 30s that talk about why Blacks were physically inferior to play basketball. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, it's like when you read it now, it's hilarious. But there were, you know, it's because of the shape of their bodies. Um, that's exactly why they um, are dominating the game. Um, and so then the play is excluding Blacks or, um, or other minorities from sports like tennis. Um, so then the, the exclusion is economic. Um, and then you get those two girls from Compton, you know, Serena and Venus Williams, who blow that open. Or So we, we keep doing this thing. Um, and I think one of the ways in which the Bible is eternally true is that it shows us our behavior, um, the patterns of our behavior that we continue to repeat um, as a way of sh shining light on who we are. And I, and, and I also think that, there, that, that there's a difference between inequality and racism. Yes. I mean, we can, we, can, we can look at inequality since the days of, uh, you know, Genesis chapter one, where man and woman were created equal. And obviously one serves the other. Cain and Abel, one serves. God is more pleased, granted if, 
if you were presented with flaxseed or some fat lamb, I think you would take the fat lamb as well, unless we were vegetarian. Um, but, you know, that there's divisions all the time since the beginning of the Bible. But that shows the, the, the glaring inequality and, and, and imbalance in our world, as opposed to seeing somebody else, dehumanizing somebody else, seeing somebody else as less than and judging them based on the color of their skin. So do you, would you, would you, can you see though that how someone, so these themes that we see of, of seeing uh, of these inequalities, that's just, is that all a product of original sin? Like why is this constantly happening and the Bible's reflecting our behaviors as human beings? Uh, what does the Bible say about that? Why are we constantly leaning on that? And why doesn't God then create more opportunities throughout Hebrew scripture um, where there seems to be more um, unification, I guess, or, uh, or does it, or does it? Because I, I think you, I can, I'm just thinking of an entry level class when people read scripture sometimes and they read Hebrew scripture and, and they'll be like, man, I mean, you have this group of people who get chosen and that God says, in, in, to your point, Rabbi, it's about a relationship. So a relationship with the sacred, with, with the divine. But if you're not a part of that group, um, you might get mowed down, right? That there's going to be, an, and if you don't worship God the right way too, God will allow you to get mowed down. Um, and, and so there's, there's a sort of like get saved or get burnt kind of mentality that you got to be on the team. Um, and those who are not on the team, are, are looked at as, as heathens and not right. Um, do, I know God is trying to show like, this is the way I want you to do humanity. This is the way I want you to be. And, and this, is, this, is the, this is a healthy way. This is the right way to, to, to walk in life. But does it also to create, or if, uh, us as humans can read into that and be like, oh, so it is all about being on the right team. And those who are not on the right team are not right. They're just not right people. Um, it, so I, so the Bible is many things, but it's not, it does not claim to be objective. And so part of what we have to ask ourselves is who's writing and who's telling this story and why. So as we see God's people creating and constructing primarily their own identity, and as a result, kind of um, uh, pushing other people to the side or responding to having been pushed by the side to the side by other people, because there's that dynamic that goes both ways. We also see witness to um, stories where an, an other comes in and saves the day. So right. we can't simply uphold this narrative. It's us versus them. I think there are times when scripture says that us is bigger than we think. Um, and, and this is not just an Old Testament Hebrew Bible thing. Um, Jesus's disciples wanted Jesus to take down the Roman government. They were not interested in, you know, salvation extending to the people who um, oppressed them. They wanted them to get theirs. And that's why they kept saying, Jesus, when are you bringing your kingdom? When is this thing going to go down? Um, so I think this is a part of our experience. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, as I, <laughs> we had a guest preacher the other day at the church who threw out a, uh, um, it was, it was pretty powerful. Uh, he said the term Samaritan lives matter. Right. And, and so, and so as, and, and, and Rabbi, you're, I mean, the, the, you, as you know, the, the good Samaritan is lifted up as, 
you know, one of the great parables, right, of the Christian tradition. But for us, it's it's this what, what sometimes does not get focused on is that um, is Jesus saying, look at the person who we look at as the other is the one who's really doing the work. And that's used a lot throughout scripture. You're right, Dr. Judy. It's just, it's used throughout that we have to always look at that corrects us, that changes us. We're constantly, the, 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 whether for us is Jesus, um, our rabbi, right? <laughs> um, or whomever is saying, no, no, look, look out there. It, we think we got it all right and we're following all the laws, but it's the other, that other person out there who you, we all, culture says is bad or not good or not strong enough. It's the one who's doing the work. But I wonder also too much of it too is, 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 is as we've gone back to semantics and language, right? How much it is, is, you know, we use the term, especially in, in you know, in the Bible. Uh, again, I'm talking from, from my Bible. So that, was, that would just be, the, you know, Genesis to Chronicles. But, uh, you know, when we look at it from that perspective, we have the term ger, stranger, right? Only later do we use it in terms of one who is not Jewish. It's the same understanding as the term goy. A goy means a nation or a people. Today, the goyim or a goy has a negative connotation, somebody that's not Jewish. But if we use it from a stranger, are we saying that a stranger among us, no reference to the movie, a stranger among us is therefore different and therefore um, has that has that uh, that tendency to be viewed as something other than ourselves? Hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I like well, I, I just you could, because here's the thing: is that we we as people of faith right now in America in 2020. That we we bring this up all the time here. That sometimes the most segregated day is either going to be on Friday or on Sunday, right? And and you know the church will say it's eleven o'clock on a Sunday, and that. But but if this if if the Bible of the Word is leading us to be, we all come from, we're all part of the same blood, part of the same family, from the same um, as Abrahamic people, we all have the same patriarch who led us here. Yet we still find so much comfort um, in worshiping in our with a lot of times with people who look a lot like us. And I know that, that, that it's not a simple, there's a, there's a bit, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and I don't think it's a simple thing just because it's, it's particularly just a race thing. Um, but are, are we missing? I often wonder, I mean, my church is predominantly white. Um, where are stones throw away from a predominantly black community. Um, we are an Episcopal church and three minutes away from us is another Episcopal church as a predominantly Bahamian church and so those are all more bahamians uh so folks people of color there they're they're probably much truer anglicans than we are um and the way how they follow the liturgy and then but but folks of people of color who are episcopalians who want traditional church will go there and they probably won't go to saint mary's where i go so why why is that how are we not being obedient to the word are we not following the word we create a space where people of all tribes and all nations are going to feel united especially for us as christians under christ uh um you know i i i know it doesn't help that our stained glass windows has nothing but white jesus on there so that doesn't really help but you know i'm just trying to parse this out of saying are, are we missing the, the flow or what why why is it still that we struggle with this that we do see houses of worship people look pretty homogenous so i think the whole worship thing is as you said very complicated 
It has to do with culture. It has to do with music. It has to do with things that resonate so deep in our souls. We don't have vocabulary for it. And I always say, you, you want to mess with church people, start messing with their music and see what happens. Right. Um, so I want to continue to explore ways that we can, as people of faith, worship together. But what I'm really interested in in this country is how we as people of faith in the world can be more inclusive. So why aren't religious people at the forefronts of, of fighting for economic justice? Um, why aren't we at the forefronts in asking companies to be responsible and making sure that their vendors represent the diversity of this country? Those are things that we can do um, that speak to um, who we are as people who worship this God, people who belong to God. Um, and I think about all of the time, I'm just going to go away from the Old Testament for five seconds, but don't worry, I'll come back. But to think about how much of Jesus's work was just out where the people were. And is that what we're being called to do? Um, so that, so, 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 so our, our, um, we can find our tribe where we feel comfort in for many different reasons, whether it's the music, it's culture, it's the neighborhood, wherever we're at. Uh, but the, the spirit of, 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 of God is constantly pushing us out, out of our comfort zone. I think some people call it being missional, right? Just pushing you out and getting out into the community and doing the work um, yes. with, with, with the whole general population. Yes. And I would go further and say that the, the, the Hebrew Bible has numerous examples that suggest that our survival depends on the other. Um, just give a few examples. Um, Moses is not just saved by his mother and his sister, but by Pharaoh's daughter. Um, she is one of the people who preserves his life. Um, his wife, Zipporah, was not an Israelite proper. She preserved his life. Um, so we think about people like that. Rahab, who helps the spies. Or my favorite, of course, is Ruth, this despised Moabite who is the person who, um, through whom God is going to restore or preserve Naomi's line. Um, we need Ruth to get to our Jesus. Okay. I think that Dr. You just gave us about four sermons um, to play with there. So I thank you. That was <laughs> that's the just exploring the other. I mean, that's what we're curious about as people of faith is exploring the other because um, there's, gosh, it's just such a temptation, um, I think, anytime. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's race, economics, whatever it be, just to, to, to form the other. I think it's one thing we've learned that in, right now in America, color of skin is, is, the, is, 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 the, is the name of the game for otherism. But to, no matter where you're at, you know, when those first Europeans came over to this, I just know I come from Chicago. Before, early on, there was the, the Poles were over here, the Italians were over here, um, and the Irish were over here. Uh, and, and you didn't step foot in those neighborhoods or you'd be, you'd be killed. Right. And they, they, so there was, they, those are the others. Um, but uh, so, so this is for us to explore this people of faith, you know, where, where do we find comfort in, in, in creating the others and, and why do we find comfort in that? What does that do for us? What insecurities are going inside of our hearts or inside of our communities? And then how do we push our own respective communities of faith to be on the front lines and to push back against the otherism and those lines, whether they're economic lines or the other disparities that are happening. Dr. Judy, uh, thank you for just, you know, I know it's such a broad topic and you, you, you beautifully just kind of 
danced among a lot of different topics here and gave us so much to chew on, especially just us to jump into the book of Ruth to do more work there. Um, you have a book coming out. Tell us about that, um, these final minutes here. Um, it's called Holy Imagination, A Literary Guide to the Whole Bible. And essentially is making the argument that imagination was used to create this text and that the text invites us to bring our imagination into understanding who we are in relationship to God. And that has been, um, uh, that's been part of a, uh, a culmination of, of, of a lot of the work you've been doing. I know that I'm hearing those themes. I remember from just taking that elective class, Song of Songs from you. So I remember one thing that's always stuck with me um, as a priest is, uh, and it rings in, in, in my ear every time I write a sermon, is that Dr. Judy always said, all of scripture is in conversation with one another. And at one point you said, and we're all trying to get back to Eden. You know, that there's this movement of trying to get back to Eden. That's so beautiful. It's so, it's so poetic. Um, but uh, so Dr. Judy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you both. It was my pleasure. You've enlightened us tremendously. So Dr. Rabbi, so, I mean, no, you're, you're the rabbi. She's the doctor. Rabbi Durbin, how are you feeling right now? What's going on? What's, 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 uh, what's, what's the next step here? You got one minute to enlighten us with incredible inspiration. Um, yeah, you know, we, uh, we, we as, as many of us have done, as well as you have done, you know, a lot of our stuff is virtual now. We have um, high holidays coming up with Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur coming up in mid-September. And uh, we're going virtual and really being able to, to, to be part of one, one community. Awesome. Over at St. Mary's, we are still, uh, we just did the listening series where we had Willie Gary on, uh, the big attorney. Um, and uh, so check us out on, on YouTube if you go to St. Mary's Stewart or on our Facebook page or on our website, uh, stmarys-stewart.org, where we listen to a lot of the different, predominantly African-American leaders throughout Martin County to just listen and hear um, what is the messaging and what do we need to know um, as a church. God bless you all. Check us out on the podcast, Google, A Priest and a Rabbi. We will see you next Friday here on WSTU 1450 from A Priest and a Rabbi. Until then, peace. Peace.